When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Football, a weekly NFL show within the Friends from Work network, hosted by yours truly, Kyle Sconowell, and an assortment of fun co-hosts. One of those co-hosts will be joining me a little bit later today, a longtime friend of mine, Peter Axman, to bring a perspective on the Patriots the New England Patriots and how their season's going and the crazy game that they were a part of last week. Before I bring him on, though, I want to make sure to catch you guys all up on the wild week that was in the NFL week two. Just crazy games all around. And then I'll bring Peter Axman in to talk about the Patriots. And then we'll do a segment on the Vikings' loss against the Eagles last Thursday night, a week ago from today, and then I'll close out the show with my best bets, which by the way, I went three, one and one last week to bring my season total back to where it needs to be at five, four and one, one push. And uh, so I'm excited to share those feeling good about some of the momentum I have going there. Let's get it turned around. And we did a little bit, Uh, but first let's go around the NFL and talk about some of the wild games from week two. So unlike last week, I am not going to read every score and go over every game because I did not get a chance to see every single game. But also unlike last week, I did legitimately watch six hours of commercial free football straight on red zone because the Vikings didn't have a game. I just split my time amongst all the other games. And man, I left with some really interesting takeaways of the NFL. It's a really good thing for you as a fan of a specific team to take some days to just watch red zone for six hours. Look around the NFL. You'll realize some really interesting things like the problems that you are concerned about with your team. They're happening everywhere. Every team in the NFL has holes. And yes, there are maybe three to four teams that stand out above others, but everybody else is struggling with some aspect of their game. So to Vikings fans specifically, yes, I'm concerned that we can't run the ball. Yes, I'm concerned about the interior pass protection, but guess what? Everybody is having issues. Watch the NFL. Watch how much better Justin Jefferson is than almost every other receiver in the game. How blessed we are there. Watch it how good TJ Hawkinson is. Watch how good Kirk is playing right now. And all you need to see is 
the Monday night football games to watch some of the worst offensive play you'll see to realize that everybody has issues. The grass is not always greener. The Vikings will be okay. And your team likely will be working on their issues just like everyone else in the NFL is having issues. That's one of my big takeaways. Don't panic. No matter where you are right now, if you're 0-2, if you're 2-0, don't get overly hyped. Don't panic. There's so much season left. Anything can happen. Seven of the last 10 seasons, an 0-2 team has made the playoffs. My second takeaway is that, yeah, it seems like offenses and quarterbacks in general are just struggling around the league. There were a lot of not super clean games from the quarterback position. And a lot of people that were written as pre-season consensus top 10 quarterbacks are struggling. What's going on with the Bengals at 0-2 and Joe Burrow? They hardly scored an offensive touchdown this year. That's a team that was in the AFC Championship game last year. They can't score a touchdown. What's going on there? Everybody's saying Trevor Lawrence is the second coming. He struggled against the Chiefs last week. He'll be okay. I just don't think I'm willing to say he's the second best quarterback in the NFL or fourth best at this point, like everybody else. So just a lot of struggling offenses so far two weeks through the season and struggling quarterbacks. The Falcons beat the Packers 25-24. to This was a really fascinating game. Obviously, as a Vikings fan, I had an incredible Sunday. It was awesome. The entire NFC North lost. Everything I needed to have happen from the Vikings' perspective did. And now the Vikings are one win away and one Detroit and Green Bay loss away from being tied for first place in the division. The Falcons, what did I tell you? What did I tell you in that preseason uh, predictions? The Falcons being one of my surprise teams. I really like what they're doing. I like what they're doing. I'm not sold on Desmond Ritter. I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl contender, but they were my candidate to go from last to first. The Packers are looking surprisingly very good to me. I really thought they would be a seven uh, to eight win team. And right now it feels like they're maybe playing a little bit better than that. They did let this game kind of slip away, and I think the same can apply to Jordan Love. He has looked a lot better than I thought, grading out pretty high in certain analytics and certain others, like PFF grade, not grading very high. But overall, he's been a lot better than I thought. Matt LaFleur has gotten the team prepared, and they're playing pretty well. They did let this one get away, and Jordan Love did have a chance towards the end of the game to make a difference, and and he didn't. Don't quote me on this, but I think he went 0-6 on his last six pass attempts trying to throw them back into the game. But no, overall, Atlanta is as good as I thought they'd be, and the Packers are a little bit better than I thought they'd be. Um, I may have to adjust my rankings in the NFC North because of the way the Packers have played the first two weeks, but they're one and one. We'll see where they go from there. The Ravens 27 Bengals, 24, as I mentioned, man, what's going on with the Bengals two takeaways here. What's going on with the Bengals grant Gertzma shout out grant predicted the Bengals as one of the step back teams. I think the Bengals are in trouble. Y'all I know I just said the O and two stat, but they're Oh, and two having already lost two division games, I believe. And now Joe Burrow is maybe re-aggravating his calf injury. We'll see if he plays this week. If he doesn't play 
and they lose to go 0-3, I'm starting to get pretty nervous on the Cincinnati Bengals. Not to mention, I think the Steelers are going to turn it around to get a little bit better from what they've been doing, and the Ravens look legit. And we know that the Bengals can't beat the Browns recently for whatever reason, so that would make me nervous already losing two division games, Joe Burrow dinged up. I'm I'm getting really close to, to feeling like their season's in, in dire straits here. The Ravens, conversely, 2-0, look like one of the better teams in the NFL. Shout out Lamar Jackson for playing really well these first two weeks. He would be in my top five quarterbacks uh, just in regards to this season thus far. I'm high on what the Ravens can do in that division, especially if Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are not going to be great. We say it every year. It's too early to say, but there's always a team that misses the playoffs that makes it. There's usually a team that comes from last place that makes it, and there's almost always two to three teams that were really good in previous seasons that take steps back and miss the playoffs. Maybe this year it's the Bengals. The Giants 31, Cardinals 28. I'm bringing up this game because I got a chance to watch a lot of this game. Man, for the first half of this game, I was stunned. This was my one best bet that I got incorrect. I thought there'd be no way this game would be close. If the Giants are any kind of decent team, they're going to beat the Cardinals by more than four and a half. This feels like a perfect get right bounce back game for the Giants after getting absolutely embarrassed in week one. And usually when teams get embarrassed in week one, they bounce back. I'm sitting there watching this game. It's 21 to zero Cardinals. And I'm thinking, what happened to the Giants? I did think they'd take a step back. I didn't think they would go scoreless through six quarters. Remember, they got shut out by Dallas, I think 40 to zero. And then they didn't score at all in the first half against the Cardinals. And I'm thinking, this is the worst possible setup for the Giants. They did come back and play an amazing second half. They got some momentum. The offense got things rolling. Daniel Jones graded out really highly, played a really great second half. They came back and they won the game 31-28. Not surprising from the Cardinals' perspective. That's what I thought would happen. The Cardinals are tanking for Caleb Williams. That's what they have to do, 100%. Uh, I was surprised at how competitive they were. But that's where they're ultimately headed. The Giants, however, they did come back and win this game. That's impressive. You can view it glass half full, glass half empty. I'm viewing this glass half empty. I'm really concerned if I'm a Giants fan. If you look at their upcoming schedule, I am not bullish on what the Giants are going to be able to pull off. I watched that first half. There seems to be fundamental flaws with this team. Things that I don't think they can even fix. I don't know. I'm really nervous about the Giants making any kind of playoff push at this point. The 49ers 30, Rams 23. Another wild game for me because I thought the Rams were going to be a bottom feeder this year. We talked about that in our preview episode with Grant Gertzma and Brett Gertzma. I mean, we literally talked about how Sean McVay is going to retire at the end of the year. Matt Stafford is going to retire at the end of the year. All their players are quitting. They have nobody. And through two weeks... They are an exciting watch. The defense is young and they're playing fast. Sean McVay is a genius. I mean, is there a better coaching job right now than the one-and-one Rams? They have, I think, almost no talent on their team, and somehow they're pushing the 49ers in this game? Now, 
Brock Purdy missed a few throws. This this score could have gotten a lot more out of control a lot quicker. But still, how are the Rams even hanging in there? Are they going to hang around? Friend of the show, Kyle Brandt, famously picked them on Good Morning Football to make the playoffs, and it was laughable at the time through two weeks into the season. I don't know. Maybe it's not that funny. Sean McVay's a genius. Matt Stafford's playing great. They have this new young receiver, Puka Natua, I think his name is. Nakua? Nakua. Nobody knew who he was. He has 25 catches through two games. Absolutely crazy. Guys are running open. The defense is playing fast. The 49ers are one of the best teams in the NFL. To me, the Dolphins and the 49ers and the Cowboys are the three teams that have separated themselves early on. Those are the three teams that terrify me if I were to meet them in the playoffs. The 49ers are stacked, as we know, on defense. On offense, they have a genius play caller, offense designer in Kyle Shanahan. Brock Purdy is far from elite, but plenty sufficient to deliver the ball over the middle to open guys that are constantly just running free with no one around them because of Kyle. They have a great running game. The Christian McCaffrey pickup was genius because he's explosive and adds a different element to their offense. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. The 49ers are one of the most loaded rosters. I think they're one of the best teams. The Vikings actually play them in a few weeks. And that's one of those games, again, that the Vikings will be entirely mismatched on the offensive and defensive lines in the trenches. Cowboys 30, Jets 10. Not a ton to add here. The Jets aren't a good team without Aaron Rodgers. Their defense is pretty great, but they just can't keep up when the offense turns the ball over so much, has three and outs, no time of possession. The Cowboys, on the other hand, look like the best team in the NFL right now. Their defense is unbelievable. I'm going to say a few crazy things here. Their defense looks like one of the best defenses I've seen so far in the last five years. Micah Parsons may be better at his position than any player in the NFL is at their position. So yes, quarterback is more important. So Patrick Mahomes is the best player because of the weight he has to carry. But outside of Patrick, Micah Parsons is probably the second best player in the NFL. Unbelievable. But their defense is also aggressive. It's scary. I think the Cowboys are unbelievable and look unbeatable. I will say this. I talked about how the Dolphins and the 49ers and the Cowboys are my three best teams. Probably not in that order. I'd probably go Cowboys 1, 49ers 2, Dolphins 3, which is funny, by the way, because we heard so much about how the AFC is so much better and, and now the two best teams are in the NFC. I do have a question mark with all three of those teams, though. So they look unbeatable, but if they were to get beaten late in the season or in the playoffs, for the 49ers, it would be Brock Purdy. The question mark there being, do they have enough juice at the quarterback position or with their passing game to keep up with the elite of the elite teams in the playoffs? That would be my concern for them. For the Cowboys, the question for me, it's small, but I still don't love some of the ground and pound offense. Like I watched this 30 to 10 Jets win and they were in the red zone. I don't know how many times, but a lot of the time on first and second down, they were handing the ball off to Pollard for a loss of one. Just a little bit of too much old school mentality of you run the ball. We only need a yard. Just get it. Hand the ball off. That's what we do. So if something were to bite them, it would be that, in my opinion, a lack of offensive innovation. 
And if something were to bite the Dolphins, it's strictly one thing. It's health. I, I just don't think Tua is going to stay healthy the whole year. If he does, they're a Super Bowl contender, hands down. Mike McDaniel may have surpassed Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan as the most innovative offensive coach. They're doing wild stuff on offense over there in Miami. And I just think that as long as they're healthy, that's going to continue. I'm already 2-0 and betting on the Dolphins this year, and I'm going to continue to do it because until two is hurt, they're going to roll teams. Anyways, back to around the NFL, the Commanders beat the Broncos 35-33 to in what was a wild game. The Broncos took a massive early lead, and then in the second half, Russell Wilson and the Broncos' offense kind of fell apart. The Commanders and Sam Howell out of nowhere caught fire, got some rhythm, took the lead, and this ended up being like a 10 or 11-point Commanders win when all was said and done, except on the very last play of the game, Russell Wilson completes a Hail Mary that was tipped a couple of times for a touchdown only to then miss the two-point conversion. I guess it was an eight-point game. They missed the two-point conversion, so they lost by two. Crazy finish, but really the story for me is the Commanders really coming on that second half. The Commanders now 2-0. and Washington 2-0. and Look at that. Congratulations to them. You let go of Dan Snyder, you win your first two games of the season. Correlated? We'll never know. New Orleans Saints 20, Panthers 17, and the Browns 22, Steelers 26. The only reason I have these games down is because this was a perfect example of how poor some of the offensive football can be in the NFL. These two games were so bland. I went on a nice, beautiful date night with my wife. I just got back from California on Monday night. My flight was delayed, so I didn't get into like eight. We went to this great pizza and burger place, uh, one of the best restaurants in Nashville, Emmy Squared. We're having this delightful dinner. And to the right, I have two TVs at the bar showing these games. And what an absolute boring fest it was. Oh my goodness. The Saints struggle on offense. The Panthers struggle on offense. The Steelers are awful on offense. It's so painful to watch. What happened? They were so good in the preseason. Matt Canada, what are you doing? Kenny Pickett looks like he's regressing. It looks so bad. But they won because of some defensive touchdowns, which I, I predicted the Steelers to go over their win total for the season, so I need them to turn it around. And the Browns, Deshaun Watson, looks like one of the worst signings of all time coming off his sexual assault stuff to give him that kind of guaranteed money, not even knowing if he could play football anymore. And he can't. Just two pretty boring games to watch on Monday night. Ugh. Anyways, that's around the NFL. I want to dive into a little bit of the New England Patriots game, get a little bit closer look with my friend Peter Axman. All right, today I'm joined by my longtime friend, Peter Axteman, but he's also a longtime Friends From Work manager and Friends From Work Discord channel lurker, finally making his podcast debut. Who would have thought here on Friends From Football? Everyone, please welcome Peter Axman, podcast debut. Go. I have a voice. Uh, I may not have a, a voice on Discord, um, but I'm watching, but I do have a voice. You're there. You're around. You're lurking. So 
I'm bringing you on for two reasons. One, I want to get the Patriots side of this all, and you're a longtime Patriots fan, but also you work in sports a little bit. Tell our audience a little bit about your background. Yeah, I've, I've worked in sports, uh, PR, media, and communications for about 20 years now. In the last 10 or so, I've worked with a, gosh, a handful of uh, NFL players directly, as well as uh, teams, some uh, we partners, some documentaries. So I've been in and around uh, the sport in the league from a bunch of different angles. So um, I feel like I have a good sense of what's happening, but... Uh, I can't tell you what's happening with the Patriots right now. <laughs> Born into your Patriots fandom, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I'm from New England, from outside of Boston. Growing up, uh, the Patriots were a distant, distant, uh, what, second, third, maybe fourth in the market. Um, but then everything comes along with Mo Lewis, and suddenly it changes 20 years later. Uh, the Patriots are all anyone can talk about up here. I remember listening to sports radio this past year, and I think like March and April, and it was all Patriots, even though it was the middle of Red Sox season. People care desperately about the Patriots here. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see how it's changed. Well, and they have played two of the most interesting games in the NFL thus far. Unfortunately for you, they're 0-2, but take us through a little bit of the craziness from last week. For those of you who didn't see the end of the Patriots game, by the way, it came down to a completed pass to tight end Gusecki, right? I think it was him. And he's fighting for the first down on fourth down. Uh, And he's like a foot away, can't get there. And he's going down. So instead he flips it backwards to a guard who makes a super athletic, like high points the ball <laughs> in the air, kind of spins, catches it, and battles for what is called the first down. And then after review, he's ruled short. What a crazy game. You're neutral. Was it a first down? I thought he was short, unfortunately. What did I you thought think? He, I, thought, I thought he had it, uh, but obviously consider where that's coming from. I, I, that, that play was crazy, uh, but it brings up two things for me. One, um, the irony is that they're relying on a incredible um, freak play from their guard who was drafting the first <laughs> round last year, who everyone in the league was surprised they took. It's a guard from Chattanooga. Oh, um, yeah. I it's, remember that. It's Cole, Stra- Cole Strange. Then, and when, when they drafted him, everyone thought, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> yes. uh, so that's one part about it, and we can get to that in a second. But the other part is that the past two weeks, while they've been entertaining games and they've been in the game, they're relying on, again, freak plays or, or slim, um, high-variance uh, plays to even stay in the game. It was half a foot um, from Keishan Butte, who, again, was like a sixth rounder this year. Was he sixth or seventh round? Um, and then a, a, a play from a guard who was overdrafted last year. I mean, those are just not... Like yes, they're a few inches away from being two and zero or potentially two and zero, but those are just not the plays that you need to be um, that you want to be relying on for any semblance of sustained success. It's the NFL, right? We talk about every week how every single team can beat any other team. It truly is any given Sunday. And I, I mean, on paper, I thought the Patriots were going to be bottom of the division, bottom feeder of the AFC, and yet, if that's true which it might not be, they still came within, like you said, inches of being 2-0 and right now. That's what's so crazy about this. But to your point, uh, you look at process and you look at results. The results are they're really close to 2-0. and I'm with you. Some of the process is flawed. 
that's exactly what I was going to say. Because I'm, I'm a big process over results person. Mm-hmm. Um, the process is just mind-boggling at this point. Um, the, if they were 2-0, and you would immediately look and say that's unsustainable. I mean, the downside is that, you know, you have to get a lot of variance in an NFL season uh, to have a chance. And they were on the wrong side of variance for two games at home, which is just crushing to lose two games at home, because uh, now they're really up against it. So, you know, it'd be, uh, you know, I heard someone make a point this week. Um, all Patriots fans are saying, you know, they got the Jets next week. That's a get-right game. You know what? The Jets think the same thing about the Patriots. It's a get-right game for them. I know. Have you ever heard this theory that Bill Belichick is a great coach and a terrible GM? Did they ever talk about that in New England? Yeah, I I think I think there's credence to that. Um, they, well, because they you know, you know they refuse to draft skill players in the first round. You and I were talking off air, kind of going back. Like you have to go back a long time. They did draft Nikhil Harry as the 32nd overall pick, so the very end of the first round. And, and I I hate playing the the like who they could have drafted game because you can do yes. that forever for any one pick. But with but that, that was an all world class of receivers, <laughs> the best ever. With, the, with with that caveat aside, I'm gonna play the who who they could have picked game. Four yeah. picks later, Debo Samuel. Uh, half a round later, AJ AJ Brown. Um, a little further, Miles Sanders, different position, obviously, but still. Uh, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson. I would have taken Paris Campbell over Nikhil yeah. <laughs> uh, Harry at this point. Um, they they the point being that they. Not only that they missed on one player over another, because that happens, but there was a whole host of players that they could have taken over Nikhil Harry. And the challenge just has been the lack of... Bill seems to think that they, he can make, make it work regardless of the skill position players. Right, and right. he can coach up skill position players. But he hasn't for the past you know X number of years. They've coached up uh, a quarterback... And Julian Edelman, who became a wide receiver and I don't know, borderline Hall of Famer, um, they've they've they turned Wes Welker from a slot guy into a you know elite receiver, and that's really it. They haven't in the past, you know, when they had their first round of success, they were taking guys from the later rounds and turning them into team guys that worked as a cohesive unit. But now they're just whiffing on guys. It's not that they're not trying to take skill position high. They took Nikhil Harry in the first round. They whiffed. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's talent evaluation. Tyquan Thornton, again, second rounder. Doesn't seem like he's going to pan out. Bethel Johnson, it can go on forever. Uh, so it brings up the bigger question of, to your question, seems like he's, obviously he's an incredible coach. I just kind of think that in the modern NFL and for any sport in general, being a coach is a big job. Mm-hmm. How can you also be a talent evaluator at the same time? Um, well, I think it's the not coach should have right. It's not especially when it's not working. I think the coach should have say in the talent, but you have to be devoted to evaluating talent. It's there's too much, you know, frankly, money on the line for these franchises. There's too much um, every other team trying to gain an edge for for it to rest on one person. Well, and that's something I wanted to ask you. You know, from. I'm not involved in the day-to-day at all, and I'm I'm not following the Patriots super closely. But if you zoom way out, I want you to react to this. You know, with Bill Belichick, you always know you're going to get an incredible defense. They're going to have all their 
T's crossed and their I's dotted and they're going to have all the details straight. And I've heard from other players that regardless of the season the Patriots are having, they're a tough, tough defense to go against. And so I think for the most part, they're often in almost every game because of that. Scores are kept low, et cetera. Uh, so you know you're going to get one of the greatest coaches of all time, especially on the defensive side of the ball. However, I think from afar it's fair to say that if it feels like some of the league is passing Bill by in that mm-hmm. the league is shifting towards offense, towards younger play callers, innovation, and it feels like, I don't know if it's a uh, an inability to do that or a stubbornness to not want to do it and prove that he can do it his way. It feels like as we get further and further from Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels and that era, that it's only getting worse as far as the league passing him by. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think what is mind-blowing is that those first three championships, right? They were... Um, I, Again, I hate the phrase game manager, but Tom Brady, game manager, collective right, of the team, the defense, uh, David Patton, Dion Branch, all those guys um, mm-hmm. becoming a collective unit on offense. But then Mike, Mike Vrabel, right? And, uh, Vrabel, that's uh, right. Think, yeah. uh, Brian Cox on defense. Was it Richard the, Seymour? The, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 Seymour, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that, but what's what's ironic is that. The Patriots helped shift or usher in the offensive era when they brought in Randy Moss, Wes Welker. Like right. Those were some of the highest scoring teams of all time. They had one of the best offenses that one year, and that was the one year they didn't win, which is weird. I, Crazy. Oh, yeah. That's another, yeah. We can spend, <laughs> spend time on that later. Um, <laughs> but then they, but but then the rest of the league followed them, and now they're seemingly trying to shift back to this first generation of Patriots teams where they're relying on non-high-drafted skill position players to band together to bring the offensive unit up as a whole when the whole league is shifting towards star players. And so that's what I don't get. So it's not like he's won with this won the same way for 20-something years. They've shifted their approaches, but for whatever reason, they're just stuck in this idea um, of we can make it work on offense when they're lacking any real skill position players. I mean, you look at the wide receiver core. I mean, who is... <laughs> Who's going to make a play there? It's brutal. A couple things on that. What's your assessment of Mac Jones's role in this? Like, do you feel like he's better than the perception, but he's being held back by all this stuff, lack of weapons, poor play calling, uh, lack of innovation, that? Or is he kind of a below average guy who they're making the most of? I, I, I It's hard to know what the perception is because uh, when you listen to <laughs> – people up here, um, it's really split. And so, I don't know, man. I, I, it, the, the line isn't helping him, but at the same time, he has just shown a lack of pocket awareness, especially in this last game. It just felt like he kept taking sacks when he couldn't move out of it. Um, it feels like he has no accuracy on the deep ball. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that's it. But, again, the moves are mind-blowing because they cut the two guys who were in training camp behind Mac on the last cutdown day. Oh, yeah. They ended up bringing Zappi back on the practice squad, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then they brought, in a, they brought in Matt Corral, and then he went MIA, and they just released him. So they feel like Mac is the guy. I don't know. I just... Anyone in that building knows a heck of a lot more about football than I do. Sure. But I kind of feel like sometimes... 
there's a lack of common sense and just seeing what is happening on the field. From my perspective, it doesn't seem like he has it. Yeah, I don't think he has it or he's great or anything, but I also think everything we said is true and that he's stacked against it as well. So it's also not the, the easiest situation for him. On the bill front, one of the fascinating things to me is when do you know it's time? Like, how do you even go about that, especially with someone of Bill Belichick's legacy? Like, there was a discussion weeks ago where people started saying, you can't fire Bill Belichick, right? Like, there, and then and then all of a sudden started shifting to, maybe you can, I guess? I don't, when do you know it's time? And if he doesn't retire, does someone have to eventually step in or you just let him ride it out for 10 years? Well, there was, so a couple things, because, in the, I think it was the March in March at the owners meeting, Kraft kind of put him on the hot seat. Yeah, he essentially that. put it on Bill for the reason that they haven't won the last three years. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to. He's what eighteen wins, nineteen wins away from Don Shula's record. Mm. Do you let someone keep going just to try to? get that baseball is more sentimental they would do that in baseball but in football i feel like that doesn't happen very often it it doesn't happen often but also you don't have a coach for 20 something years often either right with six championships so uh, the balance between what is the grace period and what is um when does he need to be held to the fire or put on the hot seat i think is something that they're trying to they're trying to struggle with now i mean i think as Patriots fans, we never thought Tom Brady would go. Um, and then that we crossed that bridge. Um, will Belichick be fired? I have no idea. Uh, but something's got to change because this has been, this is the uh, fourth year now since Brady was gone. And they're squarely in 500 territory, which is exactly where you don't want to be. And my fear there is, are they any better today than they were three years ago? Like if you if you said, hey, Tom's leaving, we're tanking, and then we're going to build it back up, it doesn't feel like we're headed the right direction to me. On on paper, it seems like it's level or slowly dipping. I think fans are frustrated with the lack of understanding the plan or the vision right now. Um, Mac, everything seems to be kind of in the middle. And generally in sports, you either... want to be really towards the bottom, so you're building towards something, or obviously competing for a championship. And it just kind of feels like they're treading water. I don't know who makes a play on the offense, which is the biggest issue right now, uh, other than the the, uh, guard who was overdrafted making a freak play. Let's go. Um, It's hard to see who makes a play on the offense. The defense, I was actually impressed by the defense this weekend, the way they contained Tyreek Hill. Um, the scheming seemed pretty great. And the last thing I'll say about the innovation when you brought that up and whether the league's passing it by, what's wild to me is that special teams play by um, Schooler when they blocked the punt oh, was oh, an incredibly, incredibly innovative play. No one has done that before. That's a good point. This is, this is classic Belichick because they're innovating on special teams. And yes, you have to win all three phases of the game, but... You're innovating on special teams. Where is that on the offense? That is such a good point. When I said lack of innovation, I was firmly meaning just offense because I do think he still innovates on defense and clearly on special teams. By the way, that was wild. What a genius. How has no one thought of that? And I was thinking to myself, what's the combat to that, by the way? 
it's quick side note. I think I think you have to start mixing up your snap count, right? So that the the guy can't time his blitz like that. But that was crazy. From what I understand, it it, it was a uh, uh, they were just studying the tape and they knew the snap count, they knew the cadence, they knew the seconds from uh, from snap to foot. Um, and that's what Bill is so good at, by the way, picking up that stuff. Yeah. Unbelievable the details. It reminded me of. Um, was that 2012? I'm so bad at the years. The uh, the year they exploited the rules against John Harbaugh with the number of guys on the line of scrimmage in the playoffs. Um, they it, it reminded me of something that where they find this like technicality um, and, and and get an edge there. And then the other thing I want to say on that is that I wish the broadcast showed the all 22 for just a second because how did the offensive uh, I guess the offensive special teams not see the guy on the side because he came from nowhere. I think they're just so programmed to, like you said, follow the snap count, get a good snap, get the place hold down. And they've, they've never seen something like that. So they probably are just like, Hey, there's a guy over there. Who cares? Like he's not, yeah, it feels play. like, it feels like that those trick plays, you know, feel like you see him back in the day with the wide receivers just kind of like standing in bounds on the edge of the sideline, acting like he's not playing. But I, I wish we saw that. Yeah. Good point. All right. Last question on paper, uh, the nitty gritty, the football side of it here. Where do we think the Patriots are going the rest of the season? Can they turn it around? And what's the outlook on the division? Because they're in a very tough division. So what does that mean? And the Aaron Rodgers injury and how does that factor in? And yeah. Um, well, I know you're down on Josh Allen, so they can they can be well, Josh Allen, Mr. Uh, Josh Allen turnover machine. Okay, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Easy on that. I think I'm always down or up on someone relative to the overall consensus. And I just think there are certain guys like Trevor Lawrence and Josh Allen that are overall consensus, even Joe Burrow this year, by the way, they're like, oh, Mm -hmm. they're obviously the top five quarterbacks. And I I just want to say there are things like Josh Allen literally almost single-handedly lost the Vikings game last year that I watched. He turns the ball over a lot and he does make some awesome plays, but I'm just saying, People just assume these guys are, oh, the second best. I'm like, whoa, whoa, reel it back. So I'm down on him as like maybe he's the seventh best or something like that. <laughs> I still um, would take I still would take him and I'd start my franchise okay. with him. I mean, I'd take him I'd take him in a second over yeah, 100%, 100%. <laughs> Um so where do they go from here? Without acquiring a playmaker, I just have a hard time. Um I just have a hard time seeing them make any significant noise. Uh, talk radio up here wants to go for Mike Evans. Why they didn't go for DeAndre Hopkins in the offseason is oh, beyond yeah. me. Well, they did. He wanted but to come here. Yeah. He yeah. wanted to come here, and then they didn't offer offer him enough. They uh, clearly don't like value that position enough. Clearly. Wait, I, but, right. But, like, again, going back to the Randy Moss discussion, like, they did. They did at one point. You know? It's, I know. it's that's why I, I think that's why fans are frustrated because, um, the direction is unclear and where do they go? I don't know. Middling season seven and 10, um, something like that. Probably. I mean, when you lose two games at home to start the season, uh, you're down to, you know, only six games where you have a home field advantage. Like it's tough. It's also tough because Miami looks like one of, if not the best team in the NFL currently as constructed Buffalo is going to turn it around and get, hot they'll still probably win 10 or 11 games it feels like a race to the bottom for me with the jets and the pats honestly yeah yeah (laughs) i hope for patriots fans that some of that changes 
I'm not trying to sell Bill short, by the way. I think he's, if not the greatest, one of the greatest coaches ever. It's just a fascinating time period to be checking in on his career, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so uncomfortable, right? Because yeah. he brought the six championships. Uh, six? For, yeah, they could have had a few more, obviously. Um, <laughs> it's not that he's... It's, it, there's no question about his ability. It's just when is the time to move on and when is when is the party over? When is the party over? We'll find <laughs> out. All right, thanks, Pete. A look at the Patriots thanks. for Peter Axman, right. local friends from work lurker. <laughs> I'll see you on the Discord. All right. Now I want to talk about the Vikings. Since it's been a week, I'll try to keep this brief. If I had recorded this episode last Friday morning, just 12 hours after their loss to the Eagles, 34 to 28, I would have been hot. Watching the NFL this Sunday, though, as I said, taught me some stuff. This is weird to say. You ready for the hottest take? I could be on freezing cold takes for this stuff. I feel better about this 0-2 Vikings team than I did about last year's 13-4 and Vikings team. We're the exact inverse of last year. Last year, the Vikings had a negative point differential. They were a below-average DVOA team and somehow won 13 games. So we were the worst of the good teams. This year, we have a better DVOA, and we're 0-2. We're the best of the bad teams. And I just really don't actually think the Vikings are bad. I still think the Vikings are going to go to the playoffs. They may win the division, and I'm not panicking. This week was the least sad I have felt about a Vikings loss in a while. Truly. Through two games, there's two sides of this, okay? I'll start with the negative. On one side of it, it is so frustrating that the Vikings are 0-2 that the Vikings didn't fix some of their interior pass protection issues, that we can't develop a run game. Those are all frustrating things. Somehow, I could make an entire episode on how I think Cousins is the most unlucky player in the NFL. What? Yes, you think that's shocking. If you followed his career, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. He is always on these lists of guys to do the first ever and still lose. So, Now it's, he throws for 350 yards, four touchdowns, and zero picks, and we still lose. No one ever does that. If Kirk, over the history of his career, plays average, if he plays average, has a passer rating of 88, which is average, they lose every single game that he plays average. Kirk has to play elite for their teams to win. That's been the course of his career until last year. Last year was the first year I can ever remember in his 11 years at that point that he would play okay and they would win some of those games and he would clutch it at the end of the game. So far through two weeks, he's playing unbelievable and they're still finding ways to lose. I saw a stat today. Kirk is tied for the league lead in passing touchdowns. Justin Jefferson leads the league in receiving yards. And Daniil Hunter is tied for the league lead in sacks, and the Vikings are 0-2. So again, the negative side of it is 
you cost yourself two games through stupid errors, self-inflicted wounds. Everyone always says that, but this was truly the case. If you watch those two games, the Vikings shot themselves in the foot, they've dug themselves in a hole, and that's frustrating. It's frustrating that they couldn't figure it out. But I'm an optimist. If you listen to this podcast or if you listen to Friends From Work or Screensaver, you know I'm the eternal optimist. In this case, though, I don't think this is a stretch. I feel better about this team than I did last year. The Vikings literally, if they had just fumbled four times, which would be a crazy amount, they'd be 2-0. If they had lost four fumbles through two games, they'd still be 2-0. But they've lost six fumbles. They have seven turnovers on the season. You're not going to win any games with that kind of turnover differential. But the positive side of it, it's not like we have any glaring holes. The defense is actually performing a little bit better than last year, about where I thought they'd be. The passing offense has been insanely good. Kirk has 750 yards through two games with six touchdowns, one pick. The Vikings are second in the NFL in yards per play at 6.8 yards per play. Second. Higher than teams like San Francisco. Defense is performing a little bit better. They literally had Philly beat in Philly if they just don't fumble. And you say, well, Kyle, are fumbles fixable? Yes. First of all, they're going to slow down how often they fumble. That's the first thing. In general, they're going to cut down on the fumbles. It's going to be a point of emphasis. These have been freak fumbles. The sack fumble that Kirk took in both games, two fumbles for him, Those are not freak plays. That's an actual issue with pass protection that makes me nervous. But the other four fumbles, Justin Jefferson fumbling out the back of the end zone on a play where he's diving for the pylon, which is, by the way, the worst rule in any of the four major sports. Hands down, not even close. The worst rule is the rule that for some reason... If you fumble the ball anywhere on the field and it goes out of bounds, it's still your ball. But if you fumble it and it goes in the end zone, it's not only not a touchdown, it's not your ball. The other team gets the ball at the 20-yard line. It's way too penal. How can that be the penalty for a guy trying to score a touchdown? So the Vikings, at the end of the first half, dove for the end zone to go up by a touchdown. Instead, they don't get a touchdown there. The Eagles get the ball at the 20, they get a couple long runs, and they kick a 61-yard field goal, and the Vikings go into half down 13-7, to having outplayed the Eagles. So that's the kind of stuff where, like, I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Justin's going to fumble out of the back of the end zone again this season. I think he won't really fumble in general probably much anymore. The Madison stuff, I think it's going to get fixed. The Brandon Powell, you know, he returns a long punt return uh, and gets all the way into Eagles territory. I think at like the 25-yard line, then he fumbles going to the ground. In general, I think the fumbles are going to get cut down on. And even when they do fumble, right now, they're 0 for 6 in recovering those fumbles. Historically, over the course of the entire NFL history, fumbles are a 50-50 stat. Truly 50-50. So I think there's going to be some regression to that mean. They will fumble less, but when they do, they will start recovering some of them. If they had just recovered any of these, they'd be 2-0. Brandon Powell's was in field goal range. Kirk's in week one was in field goal range for the Tampa Bay Bucks. 
The weird freak play in week one was in field goal range. Justin Jefferson's was taking a touchdown away and giving the Eagles a field goal, a 10-point swing. The offense is moving the ball at a crazy high rate. Kirk is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in the NFL. TJ Hawkinson is playing like one of the best tight ends in the NFL. And they just this week signed Dalton Risner at right guard to replace what is one of the worst right guards in the league with hopefully a league average right guard. I feel really good about this team. This offense, if anything, has only confirmed where I thought they'd be. They scored 28 points on the road against the Eagles while still fumbling four times. That was a 40-point game, a five-touchdown for Kirk, 40-point game from the offense, and they lost it. So again, glass half empty, they're 0-2. It's frustrating. Glass half full, I still see this as a playoff team. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. So no matter how many different angles you want to look at the Vikings game against the Eagles or the season, it really just comes down to that. You can spin it however you want. Do the Vikings need to shore up their interior pass protection? Yes, and I think they did with Dalton Risner. Do they need to figure out some semblance of a running game? Yeah, they really do. We are the worst rushing team in the NFL this year. We were last year, or almost were the worst last year. We've only gotten worse so far through two games. Get this, guys. We ran the ball nine times against the Eagles. Nine. Nine times. We passed 44. 44 times we passed. Nine times we ran. Pretty tough to have a play-action game if you're running the ball nine times. So yes, they need to figure that out. That's a coaching issue mostly, I think. There needs to be an emphasis on it. I understand leaning into your strengths of the passing game, which is what I said we should do. And so far it's worked for the offense. But to relieve some pressure from the passing offense, we do need to come up with some kind of run game. So interior pass protection, figuring out some kind of run game. I think the defense will be fine. We do need a better pass rush. We do need to learn how to stop the run a little bit better, but they'll be fine. They're a fine defense. It's going to be carried by the offense. All those things are minor just compared to the fumbles. That's all it is. We're 2-0 if we don't fumble, and the whole story will be different. So that's my summary on the Vikings. They're going to be fine. Relax. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Shout out freezing cold takes if they end up going 7-10. and 10. All right, I want to close today's episode with a quick preview of week three in the NFL. As I mentioned before, when we get to the quarter point of the season, I will release my quarterbacks at the quarter poll list performance just based on this season. Who are the best quarterbacks in the NFL just based on this year? But my best bets, I went two and three in week one. And then last week I went three, one and one. Colts minus one versus Texans. I got that correct by a wide margin. Saints minus three versus Panthers. They pushed on that one. In fact, it took the Panthers scoring late and getting a two-point conversion, unfortunately, for that one to push. Otherwise, I would have been four and one. Dolphins minus two. I got that right against the Patriots. Ravens plus three and a half against the Bengals. Got that right. And then the one I got wrong was Giants minus four and a half versus the Cardinals. They did win, but they only won by three. So that brings me to five, four, and one on the season. And there are some interesting games this week. It's still so early that it's hard to find absolute slam dunks, but 
Without further ado, here are my five best bets for week three in the NFL. Vikings minus one and a half versus the Los Angeles Chargers. Look, I try not to bet on the Vikings every week, so this will not always be a Vikings betting podcast. But because of everything I just said in the previous segment, I just think the Vikings are due for an explosive put-it-together game. I know the Chargers are also feeling that way because, ironically, the Chargers are almost identical. An effective offense, a defense that hasn't been great, but they found two ways to lose both games, and they are now 0-2. So both teams will be desperate. Neither of them want to go 0-3. I will say, even if the Vikings go 0-3, I still think there's hope for them to turn it around because of the way they've been playing. I just see the Vikings having an emphasis on the turnovers, and the Chargers have really struggled on defense thus far. So I think the Vikings are able to get a little bit of a run game going. And man, other teams have been able to be explosive against these Chargers. Even a very non-explosive offense in the Titans, they were able to put up some big plays against these Chargers. So what can this offense with Cousins and Jefferson and Addison and Hawkinson do? The Suns. I just see the Vikings winning this game by a touchdown. I don't even think it's that close. Again, I'm putting myself in a position to be way wrong, but I think the Vikings minus one and a half against the Chargers at home is a good bet. Kyle's best bet number two, Miami Dolphins minus six and a half. Yes, I'm taking almost a touchdown against the Denver Broncos. I think Denver is headed in the wrong direction. I think this is turmoil just waiting to happen. You're already starting to see some cracks in the dam. Water's starting to break through. You're starting to hear little comments from Sean Payton about how Russ needs to get out of the huddle faster. All of this comes back to, I was concerned that Russell Wilson does not process defenses fast enough and he's lost a step when trying to run and create a play for it to work fully well to be elite with Sean Payton in this offense. I think Denver's headed towards a breakup here somehow, but Russ's contract is so restricting, but there's going to be something that's going to happen here. Uh, so I just think Miami is absolutely rolling right now. As I said earlier, as long as Tua is healthy, playing this game at home in Miami might be kind of hot. I haven't checked the weather, but that sometimes is a factor early on in the season. Denver having to travel across the country. I just don't see them hanging close. Miami minus six and a half versus Denver. Game number three. The Los Angeles Rams plus 2.5 against the Cincinnati Bengals. I am making this bet on a Wednesday before I fully know if Joe Burrow is going to play or not, but I'm not sure it matters that much. If you listen to the prior segments, I'm high on what the Rams are doing. For the amount of talent they have, what a coaching job this is from Sean McVay. I think they'll hang tough against anybody. And I don't love what's happening in Cincinnati, especially if Joe Burrow is ruled out. If Joe Burrow is ruled out, this line will grow. Uh, and it might even get to a point where the Rams are favored. So I'm grabbing Rams plus 2.5 right now while I can. I think the Rams win this game outright. But if they don't, I could see them staying real close. Game number four, the Tennessee Titans plus three against the Cleveland Browns. Hey, I told y'all in the season preview, I'm a little bit higher on the Titans than maybe I should be. They're 
win over under, I think was seven and a half, and I bet the over on them. I just think they're going to be a better coached, well-run team, even if they're not explosive. We know Mike Vrabel's going to have their defense absolutely locked and loaded. By the way, the Titans maybe have the best defensive line. If it's not the Eagles, it might be the Titans with Jeffrey Simmons. Oh my goodness. The Vikings had joint practices against the Titans, and that defensive line is scary good. So I think Vrabel's going to have the defense dialed in. The offense is slowly coming around. I think they had an upgraded offensive coordinator this year. So I just don't see them taking a step back. I see them winning eight games or more. And so getting three points against Cleveland, who just struggled like crazy against the Steelers. Nick Chubb, obviously the sad news there. Done for the season with a catastrophic leg injury last week. I don't know how the Browns are getting points here. I know they're at home, but Deshaun Watson has struggled. No Nick Chubb. They're actually bringing in Kareem Hunt for workouts. Titans plus three. And last but not least, I couldn't find a fifth game I loved. So Kyle's fifth best bet of the week is Carolina Panthers at Seattle Seahawks under 42 points. I see this going one of two ways. Either Seattle is legit and they stomp Carolina. Carolina really struggles right now on offense. I don't know if that's scheme. I don't know if it's Bryce Young. I don't know if it's a lack of talent on the outside. It's Is it Adam Thielen not being able to separate? I don't know. Carolina is really struggling on offense. So either Seattle stomps them, and if Seattle stomps them, Carolina still has a pretty good defense. So I could see it being like 28 to 7, 28 to 10, which would be 38 points or under. Maybe even 28, 13, 41 points. So either Seattle does well, but I don't see them scoring 40 against Carolina's defense, or it's a really gritty, low-scoring game in which Carolina's defense really shows up and keeps it close. And I still think Seattle wins, but maybe it's like a 17-13 to 13 grind fest, or maybe it's 20-17. to 17. Either way, I don't see Carolina scoring enough points to push this over 42. And so... Under 42 points is my fifth game. So under 42, Miami Dolphins minus six and a half, Minnesota Vikings minus one and a half, Tennessee Titans plus three, and Los Angeles Rams plus 2.5. We're on the winning side of things already this season. Let's keep it going. Let's keep this thing freaking rolling. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a second, rate and review it. If you feel like this show has earned five stars, that really helps me. And if you can write a couple sentences, that helps as well. So please subscribe, rate, and review. And most importantly, thank you so much for listening wherever you are listening and however you make this podcast a part of your day. It means so much to me. And that's ultimately the best way to support. Reach out to me. You can actually email us at the ffwpodcast.com, ffwpodcast.com. I know it's a weird email, but I can get emails there for our podcast network. If you have any questions, if you have any hot takes, any bold predictions, otherwise I can see you on the FFW podcast discord channel. You can find that on discord, uh, reach out to us. We have a friends from football channel on there. I'd love to be in touch with all of you. Let me know your thoughts. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hopefully celebrating a Vikings win right back here on friends from football.